Great. So, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, it's such an honor always to share the word of God. Um, if you guys can go ahead and open to Acts 4, 1 to 21. So, first and foremost, I want to uh, say happy Father's Day to all the fathers in our group. So, Neil, Philip, um, Rajan by extension, uh, Jeevan, uh, Rajiv, all of you, happy Father's Day. Colin, <laughs> um, you know, your mothers teach you um, tenderness and love and nourishing, you know, nurturing and all of that. But I believe that your fathers teach you boldness. You know, um, I think about my father and uh, one of the most memorable memories for me is uh, when we had gone to, um, you know, a holiday and we were under, uh, right under a what. Uh, what is that waterfall and I wanted to go right under it whereas we were looking at it from the side and we wanted to go right under it and my, my mom was very scared and she said no 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 don't don't go uh, and I remember when my dad he saw that I so wanted to you know go and touch the water from the waterfall and he just took my hand we we went walking right under the waterfall and it was so amazing and my mom was so scared but my father just was like you know nothing is gonna happen I'm, I'm with you and he took my hand and he took me to uh, you know the middle of the waterfall and we enjoyed the water and you know under the cold water in the waterfall um, and that is for me one of the most you know memorable um, things about you know my father he he taught me that i can be bold and uh, the title that i have for today's message is called holy boldness so how many of you have seen uh, someone step out and be bold and be successful and you wish that you were more like them and do you feel sometimes that you can serve the lord better if you were more charismatic you know, I honestly feel most unqualified to talk about it because I'm the one who gets jitters whenever I have to speak in front of people. I hate calling, I would rather text. You know, I despise conflict more than anything. Uh, you may not be an evangelist, but if you are in Christ, you are a witness. And in Christ Jesus, we have available to us a holy boldness. In my first... Okay, so... In my first year of coming to Christ, I remember I got, I got onto a bus to get from one place to another. Uh, and uh, it was, um, there was a stranger sitting next to me and I don't know what came over me, but I shared the gospel with a stranger, uh, you know, the very first time in my life. And the person continued to stay in touch with me until she understood different aspects of the gospel. And, uh, you know, um, she was in some personal crisis, uh, relational crisis in the family. And, you know, I walked her through some of that. And um, it is not my personality trait, you know, it's, it's not uh, how I'm wired. Uh, but reading this passage that we have for today has really asked, uh, made me ask some difficult questions. And I am going to ask you all some difficult questions this morning, if that's okay. Okay, so let's, let's turn to the uh, passage. Acts 4. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who, grew, uh, who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Sarah's. 
John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. So basically, everyone or anyone was there. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and, was being, uh, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus, the stone you builders rejected, has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When, we saw the, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see that the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then confer together. Basically decided behind closed doors. <clears throat> they said, what are we going to do with the, these men? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to, the, to anyone in his name. Then they called them again in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him, you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would illuminate these words and you would open the eyes of our heart. We ask you for wisdom and revelation as we uh, discuss about the, the, this passage, Lord. I pray for your light to shine upon your word. I pray that you would use me as a vessel to, um, to communicate what is on your heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So there are three things that I want to discuss under this. When we step out or when we want to step out in this holy boldness that we see in Peter and John, there are three things that we examine. We examine the fire, the faith, and the fruit. Okay, the fire, the faith, and the fruit. In the wilderness, let's talk about the fire. When the Israelites were um, on their way to the promised land in the wilderness, God was with them as a pillar of fire by night. He was still Emmanuel. He was still with them, by them, providing comfort and protection and sight. But in the New Testament, our prayer is that our spiritual eyes be opened. In Ephesians 1.18, it says, uh, Lord, let the eyes of our heart be enlightened so that we may see you, that we may perceive you, right? Uh, and at Pentecost, we see in Acts 2.3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Fire has been used as an imagery of the Holy Spirit, and we see that uh, the Holy Spirit came to baptize them. In Psalm 104.4, uh, it says that he makes his messengers as the winds and his ministers flaming fires. Uh, messengers in the Bible are used to uh, refer to angels. And this is imagery. This is metaphors that are used. So angels are like winds. So in Psalm 104, 4, 
he, may, he says he makes his messengers as the winds and his ministers flaming fires. His messengers are, refer, you know, like um, the uh, usual analogy used as messengers are the angels to whom this, the task of, you know, being heaven's messengers has been given. And so they are like the winds. So they are around us protecting us. Most of the times we don't see them. Sometimes we do. But it says the ministers flaming fire. So who are these ministers? In 2 Corinthians 5.18, it says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are a minister. And God's will for us is to be a host of the fire of God, to be flaming fires, okay, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what will you choose? The Holy Spirit will be your comforter near you, beside you. But if you invite him in, into your life, to dwell inside of us, then you better be ready to be set on fire. So what does this fire do once it's inside us? Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, he says, but if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire that is shut up in my bones. I am weary from holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. He says, if I try to hold in this fire, I, I can't. I'm weary from trying to contain it. In the same passage which we are looking at, it says in Acts 4.20, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. You know, it is this compulsion that we have to proclaim the word of God, that we have to say what we have seen and what we have heard. Second Corinthians 5.14, Paul says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he goes on to say that we no longer live our own life. We are not our own. Can we say that to ourselves? I am not my own. I am not my own. Yeah, we are, we are not our own if we invite the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us. And that is our calling to be hosts of the presence of God. Okay, how else will the world know that we belong to him if he does not go with us, right? So holy boldness is not a result of the exercise of our will or a personality trait. It is the result of complete and utter yieldedness. So the difficult question that I'm asking myself and I'm asking you this morning is how involved do you want the Holy Spirit to be in your life? Because if he's coming, he's going to set you on fire. And it's going to be like, I can't help it. I, I cannot keep this good news inside myself. It's the, the holy boldness that we're talking about, that we see Peter uh, demonstrate in this passage, it is a result of yieldedness. So how involved do you want the Holy Spirit to be in your life? The second thing is the faith. Notice that throughout the book of Acts, every time a fire comes, uh, the Holy Spirit falls on people. If someone is filled with the Spirit, they begin to speak, either in various tongues or they speak the gospel, they speak the good news of Jesus. And even in this passage, we see that Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to speak. But what we speak is very important. Remember that the Holy Spirit comes to glorify Jesus. In fact, in the scriptures, in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, it says, no one is able to say Jesus is Lord if not the Holy Spirit. So we need the Holy Spirit to proclaim what is true. And when we share the gospel in an abrasive manner to win an argument rather than to win a soul, we will not glorify Jesus. Having said that, Peter and John were um, 
experiencing this opposition. The opposition sprung from the fact that they were declaring the resurrection of Jesus. There's a very specific part of that gospel formation that received a lot of opposition. The Sadducees did not believe that there is an afterlife or there is a resurrection from the dead. And so they were opposing this message for this reason. So I want to ask you, have you experienced a specific resistance to the gospel, a specific opposition? Yeah, uh, for me, in, in my experience, it has been, you know, living in a country with 300 crore gods, the opposition has mainly been, how can you say that Jesus is the only way? Okay, you, you have to agree that everybody who's a good person will go to heaven. You know, that, that is the opposition. I've been, I've been asked to declare that the person that I'm talking to will also go to heaven, even though they do not believe in Jesus. Say, you say that to me right now, you know, that, that either we don't believe in Jesus, all of us will go to heaven. Say it to me right now, you know. That is a massive resistance that we face. But in Acts 20, 27, Paul says to the Ephesian elders, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Okay, there's a, there's a um, temptation for us to shrink back from the parts of the gospel that offend people. We are not sharing the gospel to offend them. Notice that in this paragraph, in this passage we're reading, Peter is essentially giving this gospel invitation to people who are persecuting them. Okay, so it is our duty to um, proclaim the gospel, but it is also our duty to proclaim the whole counsel of God, regardless of the opposition that we are facing. In this generation, we have become experts in the skills of peace and favor, afraid of falling out of favor with people. And I am guilty of that in the last one, one and a half year. My main prayer has been that I may continue to have favor with my director and with my uh, co-workers, even though peace itself is a fruit of the spirit, pursuing peace at the cost of truth is very dangerous. We, we are given this, this message, okay, and we are stewards of this message to proclaim to the people around us the whole counsel of God. So we must be committed to the truth, yeah? We must give ourselves to be changed by it personally. Okay, because if we are not changed, the message is not going to change others. Our you know, emotionalism, eloquence, it can move the hearts of people. It will not break chains. If you want a person's eyes to be open, if you want a dead person to come to life, some chains are going to have to break. And only truth can set people free. So let us not shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. Yeah. Paul says in First Romans 1, 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Yeah, so every part of that gospel, what, what do you really believe about Jesus? What do you struggle to believe about Jesus? Yeah, that's something that we need to introspect and ask, sit with the Holy Spirit and say, what, what part of this gospel am I shrinking back from? Or is there a part of this gospel that I'm shrinking back from declaring because of the resistance and the opposition to that part? And the second thing is, what is the truth about Jesus that you experience the most resistance to? And how can you be a minister of reconciliation in proclaiming that specific truth? And the third thing is the fruit. What is the fruit that you see in this chapter? 
in verse 4 it tells us that the number of men who grew uh, who believed grew to about 5000 before this passage we see there are about 3000 and then they grow to 5000 and this is 5000 only men without counting the women and the children and then we also see the healing of a lame man okay so these are some evident fruits that we see and peter and john were seemingly in big trouble but the fruit was not hindered so it's important for us to understand that our circumstances are not indicative of the fruit we bear. We are capable of bearing fruit in every season. And that is because we are attached, we are abiding in the vine. Okay, so fruitfulness only comes from abiding. Yeah, and uh, Navaz has an entire series on you know, John 15 talking about abiding in God. How do you grow, how do you show fruit at the end of this uh, process? So the question is, has the gospel first of all changed your life? Has this life-altering message changed your life? Are you continuing to grow or have you stopped at some point saying, I'm, I've grown enough? I, I know these are difficult questions and these are questions. Uh, I'm with you guys in exploring these questions. Maybe you're in the gym or something and talk about some of these things. These are heavy questions to ask ourselves and honestly answer. Are you continuing to grow or did you say, okay, I've grown enough. I think that's, that's enough for me. When people see the fruit in your life, they, it, it does two things in your life. First of all, it is undeniable. In verse 16, it says, what are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign. We cannot deny it. Your fruit is undeniable. Okay, when people see your peace, your joy, your love, your patience, they're not going to be able to deny it. 1 Timothy 4, 15, Paul tells Timothy, be diligent in these matters and absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Fruitfulness is not about perfection, it is progress. So is there progress in your life? And the second thing that your fruit will do for you is that it will speak for you. In verse 14 in this passage, it says, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, they, there was nothing they could say. Your fruit is the greatest defense to the gospel. If we live lives that are fruitful, that is the greatest defense to the gospel that we proclaim. Have you heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words? That's exactly what happens. You know, when, when people see the fruitfulness. So my question in this is, what was your last area of undeniable fruitfulness? And what good works does God have for you to do today? What are the areas of fruitfulness that God is calling you into? Yeah, it's, it's good to identify those so that you can work in that area. It's the same for me. Um, and so we need to understand that the gospel is the hope of salvation. There is nothing else and no other name given to man by which we must be saved. So if you are to grow in this holy boldness, you don't have to think that it has anything to do with a charismatic personality. It happens when we ask the fire of God to dwell in us and within us, when we become committed to be changed by the word, and to proclaim the whole counsel of God, not just what is safe. And finally, we need to see progressive fruit in our lives. So there are some difficult questions that I've thrown open for you all. It's something for you to think about through the week and maybe during the gym or something you can discuss about it. But let this be a provocation to you that have I really yielded my life 
to the Holy Spirit? Have I been committed to proclaiming the whole truth? What do I believe about Jesus? Does that line up with the word of God? And finally, am I seeing fruit in my life? Is there a progressive fruit in my life? Yeah. So um, let's pray for those things in our life, yeah? Uh, Lord Jesus, we proclaim that you are king. We believe everything that your word says. If we do not believe something in your word, it is us who need to be changed and not the word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who is a gift to us, Lord. Thank you that the Holy Spirit has come to dwell within us. I pray that we will be open vessels, uh, yielded vessels of the Holy Spirit, that we would not grieve or quench the Spirit of God. We will be yielding and be led by the Spirit. I pray for a spirit of holy boldness to come upon each one of us. And I pray that you would open avenues for us to share the whole counsel of God. I pray that you still our nerves when we are scared about the opposition that we experience in the world. I pray that your uh, spirit and abiding in you would produce fruit continually in season and out of season. I pray for continual fruit in our lives that will be evident to everyone. That will be the greatest defense of the gospel in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Yeah.